Welcome to the Dirt World Podcast. I'm Jason Richmond, a fourth generation road builder who started on a shovel and now serves as the chief operating officer at BuildWit. This podcast digs into infrastructure construction world, exploring the challenges, successes, and strategies that shape exceptional leadership and builds a thriving workforce. Tyler Robertson is a is the founder and CEO of Diesel Laptops, an inter, an industry provider of diagnostic products, services, and parts, and repair information for commercial trucks, construction, agriculture, off highway, marine, and automotive markets. Before Diesel Laptops was founded in 2014, Robertson worked for Carolina International Trucks as a service manager, parts manager, and then IT slash marketing. With an IT background and over 15 years of experience working at commercial truck dealerships, Robertson has created a unique company that provides efficient solutions to repair facilities across the U.S. Robertson is a graduate of the College of St. Scholastica and and Rochester Institute of Technology. Tyler, welcome to the Dirt World Podcast. Sorry, I got a little tongue twisted. Well, and there. that's okay. And to clarify too, I actually got kicked out of the first college because I learned that if you don't go to class, you fail your courses and they kick you out. So I had to finish <laughs> up at Saint Scholastica. But all the all the things we learn you. in life as we as we progress in age. So thank you very much for having me come on the podcast. I look forward to having a conversation with you here. Absolutely. Uh, where, where are you calling from today? Let's start with that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I grew up in Northern Minnesota. Like you mentioned, uh, you have a, your fourth generation, uh, with a shovel. My, my dad's a third generation owner of a ready mix and concrete company and gravel pit operations. So I've been around commercial trucks and earth moving equipment. I mean, I was driving earth moving equipment before I could drive a car. Right. So that's where I started, but I ended up moving down here to South Carolina, man, about 20 years ago now. So right in the heart of South Carolina, the, the Midlands area, Columbia, South Carolina is where we call home and where our corporate headquarters are here at Diesel Laptops. That's fantastic. So family still in the business? They are. They are. My, you know, they're, they're, it's my dad. He had three brothers. They bought one of them out. So they're down to three owners. Um, you know, very similar thing that goes along a lot in the industry is they are trying to figure out now how to get out. <laughs> they, have, they have their kids working <laughs> for them. They want to give it to their kids, but they want to get money. Like, how do you, how do you do this? So uh, talking about like succession planning was not a strong suit of my family ever. And it's kind of coming back to bite them now. And they're trying to, they're trying to figure it out. And, you know, I don't know if they, they, they sell to their kids or they sell to a bigger company or what they do. They're getting some big offers out there from some people in that ready mix and gravel pit operation business. Um, they got a great business going on up there. They employ a lot of people. They provided few generations of, of member, but not only my family, but like we have friends and they have, he has friends that have worked for them up there for years and uh, employees that have worked for him for 30, 40 years. So I, I grew up working there, man. I, I, I love that business. Um, and I think that really kind of got my, my life headed down this whole path to what do we do here today at Diesel Laptops. Yeah, so it sounds like entrepreneurialism and innovation and, and, and running businesses in your blood, uh, literally. Uh, what, you know, what, what got you uh, excited about starting diesel laptops and give us the kind of the journey of how that started. Yeah, man, I started it for beer money. So I'm working, <laughs> I'm working for someone else, right? I'm a service manager. I'm a parts manager. And when, when you, when anyone works in one space for a while, you start to see all the problems that occur and what happened in the commercial truck world. And this is going back, you know, 10 years ago now, even longer, I was a service manager and people would come into the store all the time, be like, hey, my check engine light's on, can you guys look at it? 
be like, sure, here, I'll tell you what, we can look at it. We're booked up two weeks. We'll let you know as soon as we get it in the shop. And I'm like, you know, I came into this facility and I'm like, man, that's not good customer service. Tell the guy two weeks just to look at his check engine light. Maybe it's nothing. So why don't either myself or my foreman or my service rider, why don't we bring our laptop out to the truck? Let's hook up to it while the customer's there and just do a quick triage. Maybe it's simple. Maybe he can just like come back next week when we have availability and schedule it in. Or maybe it is serious. He's going to blow his engine soon. Let's let's leave it here and get, get on it. And, you know, what I learned is you start doing that for people. And inevitably they ask like, well, how do I buy that computer that you guys just had? Because I don't even want to have to come here. I can do that myself. And we're like, you can't have it. We're the dealership. Only we can have the software. That's why we exist, right? We're the dealership for this area. We have our territory. Nobody else gets this. And very anti-right to repair, but that was that was the mindset then. Uh, and then what happened is uh, 2008 happened. I was going to get promoted to go run um, run the entire store. They asked me to go be the parts manager. This is a parts department doing a million dollars a month in commercial truck parts, which is quite large by commercial truck standards. And uh, 2008 happened. The, the guy that was going to retire that ran the store said, man, I'm sorry. All my money was in the stock market. It was ripping and roaring. I just lost 40% of it. I can't, I can't retire. And I'm like, well, that sucks for me because I don't want to be a parts manager. <laughs> I don't, you know, what do I do now? Um, yeah. And I, I wasn't sure, but, and, you know, luckily the IT director, uh, he retired and the marketing manager quit. So I called the owner up and I was like, look, I, I know you think I'm a service manager. I know you think maybe I'm a parts manager. I guarantee you I'm way better at this, this marketing and IT thing than, I'm, than I'll ever be at, at what I do in parts and service. Why don't you let me take both jobs? You only have to pay one salary, not two. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll do this thing for you. And he's like, that's cool, but you got to relocate down here to the headquarters and, and move down here. So um, I had a one-year-old at the time, and we moved down about 150 miles south of where we were and went to go work for the, the mother headquartership of Carolina National Trucks, which will get me to Columbia. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of how I got there. But what happened is, is, when I became parts manager, um, you report to someone different inside the company. Um, so same, just to put it in perspective, same rooftop, service reports to somebody else. I report in parts to someone, another person. In service, nobody can have the software. In parts, they're like, if you can mark it up and make money, we don't care what you sell. So I started <laughs> selling software in the parts department because I knew how to get the software. I knew how to install it. I knew how to support it. But what happened is, is we were supporting so many customers and I'm trying to be a parts manager, but now I am actually supporting and installing licensing software and helping people connect to vehicles. I'm like, this is a time suck. So I, I actually approached my company and said, I got an idea. This is gonna be good for me and good for you. I'm gonna buy the hardware from you guys, the software license. I'm gonna buy a laptop off the internet, go to Best Buy. On my spare time at home, I'll put it all together. And I'll resell you the complete kit back to this company and you can mark it up and sell it again. You'll make profit twice. The kit will be ready to go. I don't have to deal with installs and do with all these things. And my first, my first customer was my own employer is, is how diesel laptops got started. And then it just went from there. Uh, eBay was the first place we went and then websites and all the, all the things happened after that. But yeah, it's pretty cool to have your first customer be your actual employer in hindsight. That's an incredible story. And yeah, super innovative on your part to think about packaging that up and redeploying it. I mean, you're cutting down on time and efficiency. And I mean, man, that's just super well, smart. Here's the problem is, this was the problem is people that run shops, they're, you know, 
40, 50, 60 year old dudes typically. They have a strong mechanical background. They used to be a technician. And now they're running an operation and they don't they don't know how to install software, configure Bluetooth drivers, get software licenses. If I plug it in, hit connect and it doesn't connect, I don't know what to do. Like it's, it's that's not their skill set. So I just stepped in and said, well, I'll take all that away and we'll just make you a kit ready to go out of the box, hit the connect button, it'll connect and I'll support you. But it quickly led to other problems. And I, actually, this is how diesel laptops has grown. It's just been us saying, listening to customers saying, well, what problem do you have? And sometimes you don't even have to ask because you get the phone calls and questions. And the, the number one thing we got after I did the kit was, well, I got these codes. What do I do? Like your tool told me what's wrong. I still don't know how to fix it. Um, and this is when I'm working part-time for someone else. And I used to answer those calls. I was a service manager. I knew how to look the codes up. I knew how to walk them through. I knew I could tell them what to do. And uh, again, you do that one time for someone. And every time they have a fault code now, they call you on the phone. And I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't do my normal job and sit here and do diesel tech support over the internet and phone calls. And it, it was good to be like so many phone calls all day, all night, trying to help people. And I had the bright idea one day. I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a piece of software that has every single fault code that's ever existed. And it's just going to tell you how to fix it. And I remember talking to some of my technicians in the shop at the time. And I'm like, I'm going to build this thing. Like, how many fault codes do you think there are? And they're like, I don't know, <laughs> like a billion. Like, <laughs> like, I'm like, I need to document every fault code that's ever existed for every commercial truck, for every engine, transmission, cab, ABS. And they're like, that's impossible. And it, it took, it wasn't impossible. It took, it took me like a year and a half doing it like by myself, part-time, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night just documenting wow. fault codes. Uh, but then I was able to give people a product that was better than everybody else. And like, well, now this product will hook up and connect to everything and it'll tell you how to fix the codes. And we quickly learned that um, it started us down that journey of, of learning, what are we really in the business of doing here? Right? And we're not, we're not really in the business of, of sound diagnostic tools. That's not really what we're doing. We're in something much bigger than that. So it just started on that journey of helping people really give them all the resources they need to fix that thing that's in front of them today that's causing someone some problems and costing them some money. That's absolutely fantastic. You know, uh, doing the Dirt World podcast, talking to many owners and leaders, you know, you hear this, the constant is problem solution. You know, we listened to the customer, we identified the problem, we found a solution and we solved it. You know, as I was doing the research online, it's kind of interesting, you know, and I want to make sure that our listeners fully understand diesel laptops. Many of them may already know you because you're so popular on social and LinkedIn. Loved your post, by the way, today. Uh, but um, I was looking at diesel laptops, diesel repair, diesel parts, and diesel training. So lots of different parts of your business there. Let's let's kind of walk through each one of them and, and how, this is, how this works. So this is going to go back to something that I think your audience will resonate with. Like you can hand a guy a new million dollar crane to go operate. If he's never operated it before, it's, it does no good. You just wasted a million dollars on that piece of equipment or tool that you gave the guy. Um, it's like that with pretty much anything, right? I, if I hand you um, a diesel laptop tool and you've never actually done any diesel technician work before and don't know how to use it, you're not going to fix anything more than before. Um, and that's the big fallacy. A lot of people that buy these things, they think, oh, I just bought my magic bullet. I now have a, a, a tool that will fix anything in front of me. It will, but you're missing some critical pieces of the puzzle. So one I just talked about, I can give you the world's most advanced diagnostic tools and 
they'll tell you what's wrong all day long. They won't tell you how to fix it. They won't give you a wiring diagram. They won't give you step-by-step -step repair. They won't give you estimated repair times. They won't give you pinouts. They won't give you uh, remove and replace instructions, torque specs, all these other pieces of information. So diesel repair is what we call our Wikipedia of repair information. So when customers have our diagnostic tool, they can easily go from the tool. And this works with our, our free tools up to our $10,000 tools. So it works with all of them. And they can one click or one tap, depending on what, what device they're using. And they can go from that fault code right into repair information and really start digging down into like, okay, how do I, how do I fix this thing? So that was number one thing that we had to build. The other piece that came right after the heels of that was they needed, they needed assistance. <laughs> so um, you'd be amazed, or maybe you would be, how many people buy a $10,000 tool and then they call in and they say, well, how do I turn it on? And I'm like, okay, you, you are a long ways away from, from figuring using that thing efficiently and effectively to, to do that thing that's in front of you. So we opened a call center. And at first it was just IT people to make sure, hey, it's, it's Windows, let's face it, Windows has updates and issues, whatever. Uh, but we have Bluetooth <laughs> connectivity, we have physical cables we gotta connect between devices, we have software, we have to install an update, um, but, and then we have to connect the vehicle. And our IT people can handle that. But what really happened quickly is people needed assistance. They're like, man, I've never worked on this Yanmar before. What, what am I doing? Um, or I got eight codes. What do I do? Or I've hooked it up. I got black smoke coming out the exhaust, but I have no codes. What do I do? Um, so we, we had to add to our tech support staff, diesel technicians. So our call center is staffed with ex-diesel technicians. And these are guys that are all highly certified. They have OEM certs typically, ASC certifications, 10 plus years of experience. Um, we, have, we have one of them that's stationed as far away as Brazil. Uh, but we have them mainly here in the, the South Carolina area. We do have them spread out through the U.S. And we are an extension of their shop. They can chat with us through the tool. They can call us. They can email us. And our, our guys are going to help them over the phone fix what they got going on. We'll remote into the tool. We'll use the cameras on the tool to see what they see. And we're there to, like, be a teacher, not just someone to go show them what to do. So that was that was a big piece of it. And then the other piece we quickly learned was is, we do need to be a teacher. We do need to train people on how to do these things. And at first I thought I was getting the software training business. Like here's my tool I built, here's where we're sold. Here's the training for it. I can say today, 95% of the training we do has nothing to do with the software we sell because we quickly learned that there is no continuing education available for the majority of diesel technicians that are out there. And technology is changing fast, not just emission standards, we have electrification, we have robots driving vehicles, we have uh, ADAS systems, all GPS, all, all kinds of things are going on, which means more computers, more sensors, more wires. So we launched, uh, we have an entire diesel technician training division. And these again are ex-diesel technicians. These are like the creme la creme of the, of the diesel technicians that are out there. These are the guys that know what to do and how to do it. And we have both physical courses we do on site and on customers' locations. And we have a full online platform now as well. So we're, we're in the business of being a solution to customers, not a product. And when we go to customers, like it's really rare we even do a demo of the tool anymore because it's really not that important what it looks like. It's important what problem it solves and how you're going to use the training, the call center, the repair information. And by the way, now we've connected parts to all this because you have something broken, you need to buy a part. We now tell people the part numbers to buy to fix these things. So it's just about increasing efficiency. And we're trying to solve a very similar problem you guys are. 
there's not enough of them. I mean, I, I, when I looked uh, the other day, about two weeks ago, there was 50,000 open jobs for diesel technicians on Indeed. Uh, and not everybody applies on Indeed. And the first job listing I looked at, it was one listing that had 127 openings. So there's probably somewhere in 70,000 open jobs right now for diesel tech. So it, it all comes down to let's make it more efficient. Let's go create jobs that way through efficiency. Um, so yeah, so diesel laptops, we're, we're more than a product here. We're, we're here to help solve their problem and get that piece of equipment going back on the road as quick as possible. Man, I absolutely love that. Yeah, you're hitting upon some of the numbers from a workforce development standpoint. And, you know, the numbers are real. You know, uh, they say by 2031, 40% of the industry is going to retire. We need over 500,000 new people coming into the industry every year. And whether that's drivers or operators or laborers or diesel technicians, like we just, we need guys and gals and, and, and people that have never been in the industry that are interested, whether it's coming from high school or maybe you work in another uh, field or another industry and you've just had this interest of, of doing something different. You know, it's a great industry to be in. So I'm glad that there are people out there like you that are providing the education, the training, the tools, uh, you know, for them to, to not only onboard with a great organization, uh, but also to provide them with, you know, what they need to, uh, to skill up and to be able to, to serve those customers. Yeah. I mean, this is what we align so well with what you guys got going on at BuildWit, right? So, I mean, I've met Aaron, yeah. I've met Dan, I've been there. I, I love what you guys, I've been following this story of your, this company since like day one, right? So I, I, and we're involved in Dirt World and all the things with you guys. And so I think where the alignment's so great. So yeah, we're, we're trying to do our part. And I, I think you're right. Like I, I, our industry has been trying to solve the diesel technician shortage for two decades. And it's the same speech every time by all these industry leaders that come in. I mean, one of the, one of the great ideas they had, I, I say in air quotes here was, well, let's build a video game to show people how awesome repairing trucks is. And they built like this iOS and Android game. And when I went and looked like a year later, the thing had less than 500 installs and it was a really, it was a shitty game. I'll, I'll, I'll say it. I don't know if I can swear on the air, but it was horrible. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I couldn't even use it. Yeah. I was like, this is not even fun. I'm like, I'm not, I'd rather go play Call of Duty and then go sit here and try to try to play this thing. Right. So uh, for us, I, you know, what we're trying to do is our, our solution is one, let's make the quarter million diesel technicians more efficient. We can make them all 10% more efficient. That's like creating 25,000 jobs. Let's, let's work on that front of it. But we do need more in the industry, like you said. So one of the things we did is we hired um, Melissa, the diesel queen. She's big on Instagram. She's big on social media, LinkedIn, the platforms. Um, we gave her a podcast show and she has stories on there every week about people, young, old, all over the world, you know, different races and their stories and their journeys into this space because the skilled trades is a great, great lucrative career. And I keep telling people, man, don't, don't go to, I mean, I can go on a rant about student loan debt and universities and four-year degrees, yeah. how horrible that is for the vast majority of people <laughs> that go. But at the end of the day, you can go make six figures a year pretty easy without taking a four-year degree. And there are so much opportunities out there and so much free training available and so many programs that are happening out there to facilitate this. And it's not a dirty word. I think it got to be a dirty word the last decade or two, and it's not. And to me... These are the people that make our world move and build our build everything that we do. I was just at the uh, International Union Operating Engineers. I mean, their facility and just talking to the different unions and locals and what they do at a local level is just just unbelievable. Everyone's trying hard to get to really encourage people to look at this 
this trade and really understand what you can do and how it can provide you a great career for you, your family, um, and provide for you a great life. And hopefully that message keeps coming across with the things we're all doing. Yeah. That's incredible. Was that the one in Texas? Yeah, that, that facility. I mean, I, okay. Maybe there's a bigger one somewhere, but to have a training facility that has 150 room hotel attached to it. Um, yeah, and a mess hall, and a weight room, oh, and a pool, an Olympic length and swimming pool, basketball court, gym. Uh, I mean, a couple hundred acres with everything. Yeah, it was like two hundred fifty acres. It was just unbelievable. And here's the thing: they 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 kind of opened that right before COVID, and then that kind of slowed it down. When I was there, um, you know, mid August, call it early August, they they said they were booked up for the year with with people coming yeah. in for training, um, and they. They, they're putting their money where their mouth is. And it's a great program yeah. for members of that union across the country. Uh, members can send their, their members there for free. The whole thing's paid for, right? It's part of their dues and what they all pay for. So it's a, it's a great facility. I mean, just the simulators alone. I mean, I think they had a dozen simulators in a room. Um, and we obviously spent some time up there trying to figure out how to run some of that stuff. But it was, it was just a remarkable facility. It's, it's one of those things you really have to see. Pictures do not do justice to the thought and yeah. effort and, and time that went into planning that whole thing out. Yeah. I think the thing that I was, uh, well, I was amazed by the entire experience, you know, Chris Trimble and that team is just doing an incredible job out there. But you know, the thing that I loved was the camaraderie that you get, you know, you got people coming from all over the world, you know, to this place and yeah, you're training indoors and outdoors, but you're also, you've got this peer group, this conversation, this learning of what are you doing and what are you doing and how do you do things? And so just that interaction and whatnot was really pretty cool as well. well you talk about leadership, right? And the, one of the amazing things to me there was that hotel staff and the cleaners and the people working the cafeteria, they weren't, they, they're just, they're, they're all part of it. <laughs> like they, eat, they yeah. eat lunch with you, they hang out with you, they're, they're there. And it, it, I'll tell you what it really showed was retention. Uh, when I talked to one of the gentlemen at the cafeteria, he's like, man, you'd have no, like, there are so many people that have been here since day one working in the food service industry. And that's usually industry where turnover is really rampant. And most of them have been there for the five years they've been open and weren't planning on going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, so just yeah. seeing it even at that level, the people that are operating and maintaining that thing. And it looks like the, it looks like the same as it was the day it was open. <laughs> they keep that yeah. thing just unbelievable shape. So, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. Everyone's friendly, wanting to help out, wanting to collaborate, wanting to be better. You know, it, it all, they, those people have the, definitely have the right heart and right mindset. And for two guys to sit down one day and just on a piece of napkin, put enough thought and care enough to actually put something like that together is absolutely amazing. And it just shows you that people do things because they care. And there were some people that really cared a lot to be able to put their, you know, put their head on the chopping block and go forth and push for that. And it was a great thing they did. Yeah. It's one of the things that we're working really hard on through the dirt world, you know, the summit and just what we're doing here is trying to unite the industry around leadership and workforce development, because what we think it like, there's so many great things that are happening at the local level or individual levels, but um, there's just this huge opportunity to, to, to really shine a light on those great things that are happening and unite uh, around, around this. So just really commend you for what you're doing uh, and, and all the communications and, you know, the training and communicate. I mean, that's, what's going to help us attract and hire and train and retain this next generation workforce is companies like yours that are stepping up, 
taking responsibility, figuring out what can I do to solve the problem, not waiting on somebody else to solve it, but identifying it and figuring out what can I do to, 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 you know, really lean into that. So I, I really just commend you for leaning into that. Yeah. I think that's one of the unique things about us is like, I think a lot of people that aren't here or don't understand how businesses work, they oftentimes think like, oh, a company has an idea for a product. So they do a big survey and do a bunch of spreadsheets for how much revenue they can make off it and what's going to cost to make it and all these. Things. We don't do any of that. <laughs> we just say, hey, let's go build a thing that's going to solve a problem. And if it solves a problem, we'll figure out a way to monetize that. Uh, one of the products that we've spent, you know, probably a million dollars in labor on is building a free tool to just hook up to anything commercial truck wise and read diagnostic codes. And we didn't have a clear path towards how we're going to monetize that. And finally, finally, that path kind of came to light. Um, emission tampering detection. A lot of people are legally tampering emissions on commercial trucks. We built a tool just kind of as a pet hobby to, to see if we could do it. And, you know, we found a way to monetize that now. So a lot of what we do is just go solve people's problems. And that's just any industry. You go solve people's problems. You're going to, you're going to make money. Like <laughs> just go solve a problem, take care of the customer. You're going to be fine. That's really people overcomplicated a lot of times, but that's what it comes down to. Not that I uh, track you on social, but I remember not long ago seeing you did a summit or a meeting or a t leadership meeting where you guys kind of sat around the table. I can only imagine that there was some of these types of conversations talking about, what's the customer saying and what are the problems that are out there and, and where are we today as a business and where do we want to go? And, you know, it's not that you're disrupting the industry to be disrupting, but it's just that you're willing to lead, you know, as the tip of the spear on solving these big problems. So talk to me a little bit about that process that you go through in solving these problems. Yeah. So a lot of it is just, well, first of all, figuring out what the problem is. Right. And you see a lot of times, and I see this a lot in like more like the transportation space, you get these companies from out West that are in the software Valley and they're like, Oh, we got a yeah. product. We built a product to solve a problem. Well, they're, they're not in the industry. They don't even understand what the problem is. And the product doesn't do, doesn't really solve the problem. Right. So I tend to gravitate more towards the other end. Like, okay, I'm not a software guy. Like I'm a truck repair guy, right. I'm trying to figure out how to be a software company, not, not the other way around. So I know where the problems are because I spent 10 years dealing with it. And I spent a lot of time talking to customers. I, spend a, I still spend a lot of time on Facebook groups, just listening to drivers, technicians, just complaining about what problems they have. And it's amazing when you actually listen to customers um, through that, through surveys, net promoter scores, all the things, right? You start to really get focused in on, okay, these are the things that, that have the problem. I think one of the, one of the mistakes I made was I'm an entrepreneur, so we started too many projects at once. And <laughs> none of none of them got done. And anyone that's been in a growing <laughs> company has probably gone through this, you know, right? Especially when, when yeah, especially when you have an, an, an owner that's like, no, let's go do this, go do that, let's go do that. And all of a sudden yeah. it's chaos, right? So I had to I had to kind of restrain myself on um, the last year and a half, two years, like, okay, no more new things. Let's go, let's go execute on the things we have. But it really comes down to that. And I I a lot of times customers don't even know what they need. And it's hard to it's hard to ask them, like, what could I build you? And it, it goes through a process to, to figure that out. But I can tell you, we're, I'm more on the mindset when we do have a product. It doesn't need to be, like, perfectly polished up and, and ready for prime time. I'm like, look, it may look sure. ugly. It does a thing. Get it out there, and let's just start figuring out. Get the data back. Talk to customers. Let's figure out what's going on with this thing, if it's a, if it's a good product or not. Um, and we're, we're still not even talking revenue or money at this point. We're still talking just get the product out there and see if, what the market says about it. And we'll figure it out later. So we maybe we go backwards. Maybe we're doing it the right way. I don't know. Who knows, right? I know it works for me. So I, I keep going through that 
that process. Um, and I think what you might've been referring to, you saw on LinkedIn, that was an executive retreat we did. And where we need to get as a company is stop worrying about 2023, stop worrying about 2024, Let's worry about 2028, 2029. <laughs> let's put that bogey. Yeah. Let's go plant that flag and we'll figure out yeah. we know we're at today. We know where we want to get to. We'll backfill that thing and, and get it there. And that was a two day offsite, not talking about anything in the next 18 months. It was talking about where we want to get to in the next five years and what are the goals of the company and how do we line up things and where do we have to put resources and how do we have to modify financials and do like all the things that happen when you start having those conversations. And as a company, unless you can know where you're going, you can't make the right decisions today. So for an example, if I said, hey, I'm gonna own this company in the next 30 years, I'm probably not giving out phantom shares or stock options to employees. I'm just keeping them on, trying to figure out how to get my, my two sons involved in the company. If I'm saying, I'm gonna sell this thing in five years, now I'm giving out options and we're, we're doing a whole different, we're focused on something completely different and maximizing company valuation and doing things to, to drive towards that. And then you hire different people and you focus on different products. So I'll go back to my dad's company. They've been worried about the day-to-day -day for so long and that's worked fine for three generations. Now all of a sudden they got to worry about the future and it's just something completely they've never had to deal with before. They've never had to work through those things before. It's just, it's a completely new thing to them. So I, encourage anyone that runs a business, think really long and hard on where you want to be and where you're trying to get to and then work backwards. Otherwise, you're making a lot of wrong decisions today, even on the hiring front. That's really good. Uh, you, you've kind of went down this path and I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about it. Um, you know, it's really around focus and customer focus and how you, how you stay in that, in that lane, you know, given your problem solving and the way that you guys go about business, how do you keep from veering? Like, is it just constant conversation? Is it, you know, what is it that you guys are doing to stay in those lanes? Yeah. So I can tell you it was an expensive lesson, right? This is a seven, this is a seven Thank figure you. lesson easy for me. Not more. <laughs> seven figure lesson. Like I can at, see that being least, the title. Right. And that's what I was alluding to earlier is I was an entrepreneur. Hey, we're making money. Let's go do more. Like, I want to go faster. Let's go hire more people. And all of a sudden, um, for example, like our software development division, all of a sudden you got 50 people over there and so many projects, like it was literally like rows in a spreadsheet of projects. Like you couldn't even keep, keep track of them. It was ridiculous. And then you got to hire not just developers, quality assistant, quality assurance people and scrum masters and all the things. And what happened was, is nothing was getting done, like zero. Things that should take a month were like six months behind. And there was just mass confusion everywhere. It was a lack of planning. It was a lack of leadership. It was a lack of structure. And we had to make like a really crappy decision. I had to, I had to say like, look, I, I screwed up here. I can't afford to keep doing this and not having projects go. And we tried some things, but eventually it came down to like, hey, we got to do a reduction in force. And we got to, we got to, cut a bunch here because my only solution to fix this problem now is to do way less projects and focus on maybe two or three, not 50 or 75. And we're going to pick those ones. And unfortunately, that means we're going to have to let a lot of people go. So we did a reduction in workforce four months ago. And that's where it stemmed from was just our inability to execute. And we just, it was literally like throwing money down the toilet. Um, yeah. And we start going back in time and adding up how much you spent just on labor, not, not on other servers and license, like all the other things, it was seven figures easy. And I was just like, okay, lesson, lesson I learned here 
is I got to have the right people, the right leaders, the right processes. I got to get, I got to get really good at being small. And once that's going well, then we can go. And I can again, yeah. say like four months later, they're knocking out more projects now than they ever have with, you know, a, a third of the staff yeah. that we used to have before. And everyone's laser that's focused. It's, just, it's amazing how different it is with less people. Okay. I got to ask a question here. I've been around the industry for over two decades and you know, you are being very transparent. That is very against the norms for the dirt world. It feels like to me, like the older companies, the older generations, like they don't talk about any lessons learned. There's no business communication. It's like, all you see is the highlight reels on their websites or in social media and everything is perfect. So what, what is it about you and your business and what you're building that you're willing as a leader, as an entrepreneur to be so transparent and talk about these lessons learned? I'm just absolutely fascinated by, by how you're embracing. Yeah. That. I think it's, I think it's a couple things, right? One, you know, I've worked for companies before where nobody knew what the heck was going on and who was doing what or where we were going. Right. It was just closed lip. Like I punch the clock every day. I show up, I, I, I build my widgets, I go home. And it really wasn't fulfilling as an employee. I can tell you, I can tell you that much. Um, and I also, you know, that company had higher turnover. It had, it had other issues, right? And I think a lot of it's systemic. I mean, it all starts at the top, right? It all starts with culture and how you treat your employees and how you do things. Uh, but I made the decision a long time ago, like, look, I'm not going to pull punches here with people. They're going to know exactly what we're doing and where we're going. I, I think that's been one of my, one of my things I've done forever, even on LinkedIn. I, I post plenty of success. I post plenty of failures on there too. Uh, but that's how you grow. <laughs> I mean, that's how you get better. Yeah. And if employees know what you're doing, they can choose to get on the ship or get off the ship. And I can say that there are a lot of employees that I think if I said, hey, we're going to go march down to hell and battle the devil, they'd be like, let, let me grab my gear. I'm coming with you. Right. Like they'll, they'll follow, they'll follow us because they believe in our mission and what we're doing over here at Diesel Laptops. And when you have that kind of buying from employees, it goes it almost gets like customers start to understand it. And a lot of this comes back to like why you do something as a company. And I, I think a lot of people don't know why their company exists or why they do things. I try to talk to our employees all the time about the why we do things. And to do that, you have to be transparent. You have to explain to people, this is, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm doing. And for me, I feel really fortunate. I mean, at the age of 36, I was able to figure out like why I was put on the earth to do a thing. And a lot of people go their whole lives not knowing why they're there, what they should be doing or find that passion. So it gets, it gets me fired up. It gets employees fired up. The customers understand why we're doing things. Employees do like, it just, there's no negative to it. Um, I think people get transparent because they're afraid of, you know, showing their cards or people thinking of them in a negative light or whatever it is. But the fact is every time someone's transparent and honest, it seems like you get way better results than being close-minded and close to the chest with your cards that you got. 100%. You know, you've, you've talked about uh, your why you've talked a little bit about mission, vision and values. You know, it seems like a lot of times those are just on a wall somewhere. It sounds like at your organization, they really drive your thinking, they drive your decisions, they drive your behavior and that it's the guide, you know, for your people in your organization as well. Would you say that from a cultural standpoint that everybody knows what the mission, vision and values are and that that's what's leading them on a daily basis. Yeah, I would say it's a fair statement. I mean, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say hundred percent of the employees, right. They don't, they don't sure. all buy in. Like for example, yeah. we do, we do like a company video every month. Right. 
and you can see the number of views on YouTube and the number of employees you have, and it doesn't always match. So some employees just choose not to, <laughs> not to engage. That's 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 not sure. That's fine. But yeah, I, I think for the most part they do. And I I you know it's funny. I look back in those early days, like in my garage and the first rental place we had when I didn't know anything, and I would literally hire anyone that had a pulse that would walk through the door just to get bodies in there to do things. And it's actually amazing now how many of those employees are still here five years later. Like, I'm like, I still can't, I still tell them, like, I can't believe you quit your job with benefits to work for some guy out of his garage and his dining room table with no benefits, <laughs> but thank you for doing that. And they're like, hey, we believed yeah. in you, we knew you, we, we wanted to be part of this thing. And, you know, I, I like to say we, we take care of those employees as, as well as we possibly can. Um, and I think a lot of it just comes down to people, people want to have purpose in their job. They, and if they have purpose, they tend to be a lot more happy at work, a lot more productive at work. You have less turnover and your company's more successful. Uh, so yeah. it goes back to just, just treat people the way you want to get treated. Like that's, that's how, that's, that's how I do. And if, if there's something they don't like about me, at least, at least they know and they can make a decision. So are there certain attributes or characteristics that you look for when you're hiring team members? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think everyone can say they do, right? Like, I, I think I'll, I'll give an example of what we try to do more now with the manager level. So first of all, we always try to promote from within. If people show ambition and they have the right attitude and all the intangible stuff. Yeah. Let's, let's give that person, let's give that person a shot uh, because it gets really hard hiring people you don't know and mm -hmm. you get them in here and you don't even know who they are. You don't know their personality for six months, or at least I don't, I'm, I'm horrible at understanding who someone is. It takes me six or 12 months to really understand them and what makes them tick and, and what they're trying to do here. So, um, at the manager level, I definitely try to dive deeper into like, okay, your resume said you did this. How did you do it? And why did you do it? And a lot of times it's like, well, I did it because I was told to do it by blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for someone that actually not only found a problem. I get people tell me problems all day long. I need people that can give me solutions to problems because I can't be the only guy here doing that. I need solution solvers and people that can take a solution and go execute on it. So I can say, that was one of the big things when we built our first ever C-suite uh, this year was I got to get, I got to get people in here that can find problems and give me solutions, go execute. And that's really freaking tough to do. Um, and you got to put a lot of trust into people that, that have a lot of authority, both culturally, financially, um, and with employees to, to go execute. And that's one of the hardest things for me as an owner. And I know for most owners is like, give up control, <laughs> give it over to somebody else and let them, let them run with the football. Um, but honestly, since I've done that, I mean, the company's had record revenue and record profit. So I think the results over here speak for themselves. So I, maybe too broad of a question, but, you know, I just, I listen to mission, vision, values, your priorities, your leadership philosophies, problem solution, all these great things that you guys are doing, even though there's a, you know, it's hard to find diesel techs, uh, you know, as you've indicated, like, do you have a problem finding people to come work for you? Because I would think that you would have a better chance of hiring you know, based on all of the things that you're doing. And so as we start thinking about how do you attract and, and reach and, and hire this next generation, it sounds like you're doing a lot of the things right. Yeah. I mean, we don't, I don't think there's ever been a role where like, man, we just can't find them. I mean, I employ, I mean, I don't even work on trucks, our company, and I employ probably 30 diesel technicians, 35, maybe, maybe even more than that. Yeah. And they're not yeah. turning wrenches anymore. Right. So now repair shops have to compete against me. And I'm like, oh, they're trainers or subject matter experts. They're working in my call center from home and they're making great money and not having to deal with the, the, the wear and tear that, that sometimes can happen. So 
I don't think we have a problem. I mean, I get people sending me resumes all the time on LinkedIn, just randomly or emails. Like, I want to come work for you. Here's my resume. So it's not been, for me, it's not been an issue unless it's something super technical. Like we need someone that's done vehicle reverse engineering before and knows C sharp, right? Like that's a really specific thing that we got to go find. Um, and I think we're trying to be a little more strategic now. And we're really trying to take our time finding the right person inside our company or to come inside our company when we can't promote within. But whenever we can, we try to promote so many good stories over here of people that, I mean, Riley, he's my, he's my director of operations. That kid was making pizzas and subs when I when he started working for me in my garage, you know, seven years ago, eight years ago. And now he he knows more here than anybody else um, what's going on in the company day to day basis. There's a lot of great stories here. My executive assistant, she's now running one of our sales divisions. Um, so there's there's people across the company that just needed a little bit of opportunity. And holy crap, you give them opportunity and then you see them run with it. And you're like, I had no idea the person was capable of this. And yeah. I think that's true in, in most companies. There's a lot of people sitting around that you have people have no idea how much opportunity or potential they have. They just don't have that opportunity given to them. Yeah. One thing I talk about uh, often is the dirt world is a big industry. What we need to do is just get more people coming into it and then start and figure out where you want to go. You can go into the tech side. You mm -hmm. can, I mean, there's a whole business. So there's HR and there's IT and there's marketing and there's all these things from a business team. Then you've got all the different verticals of asphalt and concrete roads and bridges or technology or whatever it is that you want to do. It's, it's such a big industry that you can navigate your way and, and or such a relationship driven industry that you start to meet people and know people and you figure out your skill sets and what you like and what you're good at. And, it's fun when you can watch those people come in and start to figure out what they're really good at. It reminds me a lot of truck dealerships. So truck dealerships, a lot of different roles, a lot of different departments in these commercial truck dealerships. And uh, if, if you work in a commercial truck dealership and you have any ambition and skill and success at all, you can go get a job in any city in the country within the week because every single truck dealership is looking for good, talented people that understand that space and can go execute. And it sounds like it's similar in, in your space as well. Like there's just such a shortage of talent, yeah. future leaders, the need for all the things that are coming down the pipeline, how fast technology is changing, infrastructure growth, all the, all the things. So very similar parallels with what you guys are doing and what we're doing over here at Diesel. Yeah. So I got one other kind of business question for you and we'll start to get into the kind of the wrap up. You know, the one thing I haven't covered is like your market, like where you, you know, where you serve, what those products and services are, how people do business with you. Anything that you could share for a listener is that, man, I like this person. It sounds like they solve my problems, but I don't really know where they're at or what to do or what my first step is. So let's just really quickly cover that. Yeah, I mean, usually where it's steps for customers is like I own equipment or I work on equipment and I want to be able to work on all makes all models. So I think everyone listening to this knows you can go to Amazon, AutoZone, Walmart, and buy like a little code tool and hook up and, and do stuff on every make model. And in the commercial truck world, it was really about six or seven years ago, people learned like, oh, wait, I can buy one piece of software and work on every commercial truck. That's groundbreaking. And where we're at today with off-highway is people still think, well, it's a John Deere. Only John Deere dealers have the software. Oh, it's a Caterpillar. Only Cat can do it. And it's not true. So we have a diagnostic tool that will hook up to every single make, model, off-highway piece of equipment. One piece of software, one piece of hardware looks the same no matter what you're connected to. And you can do like 95% of what the dealerships can do. And there's only... We're the only company on the planet that really understands that space because we wrap that repair information, the tech support and the training around it 
and come back to customers with solutions. So that's really the core bread and butter. And a lot of those conversations are talking to customers to find out like, well, do you need a $10,000 option or the $300 option? Like, let's go right fit your, your, your company for the right products that you're doing. And once you do that, that's like step one, right? Is that step two is usually like, well, now I want to get my guys trained. Well, great. Because you're a customer, you can come to any of our training facilities across the United States free as much as you want. And you can do as much free online diesel technician training as well. That's what you get with diesel laptops. So customers get that with our product or they can buy that on their own if they have a competitor's product. And then usually like step three is once companies really start to, to get into this, they start asking about data. And this is where the big companies are really starting to figure it out is, okay, I own a thousand pieces of machinery or 2000 pieces or 500. I wanna know what fault codes are the most popular things that I'm working on. Well, why would I wanna know that? Well, because that code happens 50 times a year and now I got 50 unique experiences that happen trying to repair that thing. But if I know it's gonna happen 50 times, I can make one document that tells me the exact part number I need, how long it should take, the wiring diagram, the step-by-step -step directions to fix it. Now I just cut down my repair time amazingly, way less than I did before. So you start to use data, you can do a lot of things. And that's just like the tip of the iceberg. We have one customer, they got well over, I mean, thousands of units and they are constantly mining their own data to figure out, well, which equipment fails more often than other equipment? Because now we're gonna use that in purchasing decisions and beat up our vendors for pricing. And we're gonna do training on these things. Like you can just use that data to make your company even more efficient at what you're already doing. And there's very few companies at that level yet, but there's more and more all the time. And those are the ones where it's really exciting to see these guys really dive into to essentially vehicle and equipment repair data, which is which is crazy, but that's the way the world's at today. I mean, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, just been an incredible conversation. Uh, love what you're doing at Diesel Laptops. Can't thank you enough for for joining uh, you know us on the Dirt World podcast. Uh, super grateful for your support at the area at dirt world summit uh, and all the things that you're doing to make the dirt world a better place, which is our mission. Uh, people can find diesel laptops at diesellaptops.com. And as, uh, as Tyler was indicating earlier, they're on all the social platforms. So you can find them just about anywhere and everywhere uh, to learn more about BuildWit, You can visit buildwit.com. And I uh, just want to say to all the listeners out there, thanks for joining us. And until next time, keep leading in the dirt world, building people, projects, and communities. Tyler, thank you so much. Man, that was incredible. No problem. Thank you. And by the way, we were super excited to be part of that sponsorship with the, the summit as well. I'll be there. I know we had a booth there with some employees there. We plan to take part, take, partake in a lot of the things going on. So we're really looking forward to it. It's going to be incredible. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.